Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. Podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. Try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Alright, this is going to be an all or none episode, sort of. Uh, We are going to be talking about the show Forever Night, which I have seen all of the first season. I haven't seen the whole show, it's three seasons, but I do feel like I saw as much as I needed to, uh, from what I've heard. I don't think an appreciable amount of like world building or real story stuff happens in the Mm -hmm. remaining two seasons. I have thought sometimes about watching the other two seasons, but it's not, it's not super easy to get a hold of. Right. It's not on Netflix. Uh, Strangely, on the other hand, knows nothing. So strangely, what do you know about Forever Night? So I have a vague, even before we started talking about this show, like as a possibility for the podcast, I had a vague idea that this was something that existed Mm -hmm. and that it was tied to like an author. So I was, I thought it was like Clive mm. Barker's Forever Night, or I don't know why I thought that, right? Or like yeah. Anne Rice's Forever Night. Like there was somebody who wrote, you know, dark urban fantasy horror type stuff, and it, they were attached to it. Like it, even though the property, as it is presented on television, had nothing to do with the original source material, that I don't know why I had that idea. It just kind of, for some reason in my mind, is that I I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a some other property with a similar name. Yeah. That um, was the kind of thing where like they, it wasn't based on their book or anything. It was just like, they sort of spearheaded the production. They were sort of light, a producer in a very light conceit. Yeah. It was mostly, they were producing it to put their, to have their name on things. Yes. Yeah. Like, cause, cause correct me if I'm to wrong. my but knowledge that that is not the case with Forever Night. This is from the nineties. Yes. So the, I just feel like there was a lot of that kind of like there was this explosion of desire to have creative own shit in the 90s mm-hmm. with like, again, Clive Barker's Hellraiser or yeah. Seth MacFarlane's Spawn. It was like the creator apostrophe S name. Yeah. Like even the way that uh, the sort of latter day Gene Roddenberry projects like Andromeda or yeah. Earth Final Conflict, they were Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Um, but then in the nineties, it was like the, this, the, the, it's like auteur theory hit its peak. Yeah. And we were like this from the mind of guy. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why I had that conception, but in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of it, I think there are vampires and like maybe one vampire in specific who is the forever knight, like Maybe it's a vampire from the Middle Ages times who is like in modern day, like city, righting the wrongs of, you know, just kind of being like one of those guys. And maybe there's cops. Like maybe it's an immortal vampire cop. But that's about it. Like, yeah. and no. again, this is <laughs> all just like weird osmosis. I cannot wait for you to see this, honestly. I'm so excited. Uh, it's, and it's been. Over 10 years since mm-hmm. I watched the pilot, or any of it, to mm-hmm. be honest. It's been, hold on, I want to say 13 or 14 years since I watched this. So I remember only very vague things. Also, there is a, an actor in it in particular that I cannot wait to see if you recognize. Like, Oh, I I'm win. excited. If you don't, I'll be just so disappointed. But it's it's a whole thing, and I can't wait for you to experience it. So let's go watch Forever, Forever Night. <laughs> 
I'm just imagining a crack of lightning. I don't think there actually was. Laura K. Hamilton's Forever Night. <laughs>I'm so... I don't know what the fuck I just watched. Yeah. Okay, folks. We just watched the two-part pilot of Forever Night. We could have just watched the first half. But for you, friends, we watched both parts. Forever is an excellent title for this. If I only had 90 minutes left to live, I might spend it watching that show because... It felt like forever. The first oh. half. The second the second half of that pilot picked better. up. Better. Picks up. More better. story. More yeah. story. Yeah. Well, uh, to let the audience know, we did watch Forever Night, which was a Canadian show which ran on CBS from 92 to 96. Mm-hmm. So. Three seasons. Three seasons it's over like, the course of <laughs> six years. Partial partial British. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's Canadian. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a British light. Yeah. Yeah. Canada is like simultaneously all like, well, time to go fight them. Politely. Um, now, strangely, this was your very first experience. Yeah. With the Forever Night. Let's talk about what you were wrong about in your What We Know section, which nothing particular except for that whole thing that I dissuaded you of at the time. That the, your, your thought about it being connected to an author was yeah. not. You were probably thinking of a different show. Yeah. Nothing about watching the show made you go, that's why I thought that, right? With the exception of that logo that comes on screen, uh, you know, forever, and then night is yeah. like a splatter. Is, yeah. yeah, it's like a 90s splatter font logo yeah. thing. Uh, is very reminiscent of some of the Clive Barker, like, novel covers and video uh-huh. games that he was tangent. So I think that there was just like, a, sort of like a... Clive, and that was also the height of Clive Barker was like the 90s. Yeah. So it's like, I think you that was how that You might have seen that, that and, and your brain remembered it as a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's I possible. Mean, you know, Barney and James doesn't, Barney and James's Forever Night doesn't quite sound as like exciting. Are those the yeah, It's like Barney, Co- it's like created by Barney Cohen and James something. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> Barney I don't and James's. Because let me tell you something. Uh, I did remember something about the origin of the show. It mm-hmm. is not based on a book, but it was based on a failed pilot that was eventually released as a TV movie called Nick Knight, not as catchy a title, made in the U.S. and starring Rick Springfield. Wow. Uh, as far as I can tell from a, a little uh, light Googling, other than the fact that, um, other than it being set in Canada on the TV show and uh, L.A. Uh, in the movie, uh-huh. the movie, quote unquote, uh, and the cast being entirely different except for Detective Skanky, being played by John Capellos and both, uh, the plot is um, entirely the same as the first two episodes of the show. It's the same thing. He falls in love with a freaking uh, archaeologist or whatever, and there's the things and homeless people dying. So it was, it was like they just took that and reworked it. Um, uh-huh. It was in 89, so it was just a few years later. They were like, Canada's like, can we try? <laughs> and Hollywood's like, yeah, fucking sure. We, we take failed. it. We take don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with this the shit. But uh, weirdly, I had a memory, which I didn't mention in the What We Know, but if you had asked me what I knew about the show, I might have at least mentioned that I remembered that the pilot was set in Los Angeles. And then in the second episode, they were like, we're in Toronto. We've always been in Toronto. Shh, pretend that first episode was in Toronto, please. 
I had this very stark memory of this. Like, they went out of their way to try and yeah. make it Los Angeles, but it was shot in Toronto, so it didn't look like L.A. Yeah. And then the second episode, it was like, they went, never mind. And now I don't know if I am thinking of a different show where that happened. I, I, I can't think of another Canadian show I would have watched where that could have happened. I guess it could have been a U.K. show. U.K. shows are less likely to, to set something in the yeah. States, though. I don't It's weird. Very, very clear memory at first when we started watching the episode and the first thing you see is the cn tower uh-huh. in the intro i went oh that's declaring toronto yeah. nice right there i thought maybe they um edited out any si- scenes where there was like a clear visual of like los angeles like a sign that says la blood bank or something like that yeah Maybe they edited it out for streaming or something to make it clearer. But I did a little Googling and I couldn't find anything. It wasn't in the IMDb trivia or anything like that. So I don't so know. It's, it's I might have made that up. Berenstein Bears thing. Or oh, no. Ber- it's like, a Man- Man- Mandela effect. Yeah. It's, there you go. And apparently I'm from an alternate reality where the first episode... Because you might think, oh, you're just remembering that the original pilot was set in L.A. Yeah. I didn't know about that original pilot until years later. I found out on... You know, I ended up Googling the show at some point and was like, oh, holy crap, Rick Springfield. I didn't know that. Right. There's no chance that, sure. that was, like, uh, on the DVD. It just didn't register, like, that difference. I don't think so. It's, it's very weird. I did yeah. watch this original on DVD, so I theoretically could have watched some, like special features stuff, but I don't know. Maybe they said in the special features that we originally shot, tried to, we're going to make it LA and then we changed it. But it's, I I feel like I remember seeing it. It's very strange. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out. That's something I was wrong about. (laughs) Also, there were just lots of details I had totally forgotten. Oh, you got to do a one sentence synopsis. One sentence synopsis. Do it. All right. In modern day Toronto, hundreds of years old, former crusader, now vampire Nicholas Knight works the night shift as a detective solving crimes in an effort to right the wrongs that he did as a vampire as he seeks for a way to become human again. There you go. Nailed it. Bam. I, I'm i sorry. That, like I. <laughs> That's a bit rambling, but so is the show. <laughs> yeah. Like, I... I uh, let's... Let's try to get through this recap quickly yeah. because yeah. I mostly have like major structural issues with this. Yeah. Uh, let's roll through this recap, strangely. Okay. Let's talk about it. <laughs> we open in France. <laughs> in the year 1228. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a woman and she's all dancing like Helena Bonham Carter style. Like, la, 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 la. In a... Poofy white dress, like, it's sort of a... I think you may be <laughs> making up the dancing, but... <laughs> no, she's totally dancing. And then, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> Nicholas Knight, forever guy. I'm sorry, I just... Okay, Okay. He, we see we him become need, a vampire. We just need to get through the plot, strangely, please. I just... Oh, God. Uh, we first see Nicolas de Brabant was his original France-type name. Uh, It's just a fun fact that I saw on the internet. I didn't actually remember that, and they don't say it. But our hero is uh, a 13th century French guy who is seduced by a lady in a white dress who's also definitely a vampire, and they're being all sexy to each other. And then there's a hilarious moment where there's, like, sexy violin music playing, and then all of a sudden the two of them turn around and the camera pans to the side, and there's just, like, a dude playing the violin, and then he stops, and it reads, like, 
comedy. It reads like a, oh, oh, you caught me playing violin in the corner. But it's clearly supposed to be like a dramatic reveal because this is who becomes like our villain. And he is the vampire who has uh, sired. They don't use the term sire in this universe, but he is siring Nicholas. He brings him over. Brought him over. That's what they call they, it. Now. They say brought. They say he's my master. He's the one who brought me over. They don't use the term sire, which is common in some other vampire stuff, like Buffy. <laughs> I like it. I'm a fan. I don't know why I like that term. Um, but uh, it's like oh, it's exciting. There's lots of candles everywhere. Then flash forward to modern day Toronto, 1992, and Nicholas is now a cop. He works gets- the night shift. That's right. Because he's allergic to sunlight, quote unquote. And he gets he works called. alone. And he gets called to the scene of a murder where a security guard at a museum has been killed by someone who stole something uh, uh, like a cup from yes, a display case. Fancy green carved cup. And killed the security guard and disappeared. And drained all of his blood. <gasps> Ooh. Spooky. And we established through some classic uh, bunch of uh, reporters scene, they're like, is this like the other bodies that were also drained of all their blood? The vampire murders? And Nick's like, oh, come on. <laughs> you don't believe in vampires, do you? And she's like, well, what else do you explain? You know, how do you explain it? And he just looks at it and goes, you should go home. And she goes, yeah, I think I'll go home. Classic <laughs> vampire stuff. Yeah, that like. So I think we should have we should actually have like a like a a monitor of like vampire tropes. Yeah, that would be ding so one. So ding for ding sure. ding, we've got um, body drained of blood. Yeah, well, well hypnotism. Be, hypnotism. Well, I just, I especially I'm always interested in vampire stories about which aspects of the vampire mythology they decide to keep. Right. And which ones they're like, nah, that one's weird. So uh, we've got mind control. Bing, yeah. Bing. Uh, then. We find out that this is like the fifth victim who's been drained of blood, and the police captain, uh, or uh, um, Captain Stonetree, tells Nick that he's like, Look, you're a good detective, so I try to work with you. You say you're allergic to the sun, so I let you work at night. You insist on working alone. And I say, okay, fine. Let the guy work alone. But this is too big a case. I'm assigning you a partner. (laughs) And unfortunately, it's... Detective Skanky, who we met in the first scene, uh, at, at the murder scene, he just like shows up for some reason, and they are forced to be partners. Now, Detective Skanky is a uh, very like kind of schlubby. He's he's very basic as far as detectives go. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm trying to quit my smoking. My wife. He doesn't actually talk like that. Let's go eat a souvlaki. Yeah, well, he's also a, a, a cartoonish Greek stereotype, also. Um, I think he has a longer name, and Skankopolis oh, like, or something like that, and he's called Skanky, because of the 90s. Remember them when that was an insult? Yes. Yeah, it's good times. So they're forced to work together, and Nick is nonplussed about it. We also meet, very soon after that, Nat, Natalie, I don't remember her last name. Lambert. She's, good call. Dr. Lambert, she's a medical examiner, and we find out, would you want to describe the the relationship? She knows that Nick is a vampire Mm -hmm. and is trying to help him not be a vampire. And this was like the first aspect of the thing that just kind of off the rails. Like, this is where it was just like incoherent, because like, she just shows up, she already knows he's a vampire, she's helping him quit being a vampire. There's no explanation given as to like, how they met or why it's a thing. Yeah, a I bit. didn't remember it being that rushed. I, I kind of vaguely thought 
in my head that the pilot is where he, he Nat finds out his secret. Right. And she tells him, hey, maybe I can help you. This is like an unprecedented like research opportunity. Yeah. Like I could experiment and possibly help you. I could have sworn. Honestly, I'm starting to wonder if there wasn't actually another pilot that's not available anymore that I saw that was set in L.A. and where he and Nat meet or Nat finds out his secret in that one. Yeah, I, I just, like, so much of this felt like... I couldn't find anything about that online, but... I think that's what was so frustrating about watching the first half of this pilot, is that the 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 the, the first half just felt like a second episode. I felt like I was missing so much. Mm-hmm. Not in the way that, like, sometimes a world is already existent and, like, things are sort of rolling along. A couple of weeks ago, we watched uh, Carnival. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of things where clearly people have known each other for a long time, ahead of time, or relationships have already been built. Yeah. But this is like, just like even, I didn't even recognize uh, Skanky from his appearance five minutes before to when he showed up at the office. So oh. like Nick <laughs> walks in and sees that he's been assigned this guy and he's like, somebody shoot me, please, somebody. Like, like the tone in this is all over the shop. It, yeah. So when the, all of a sudden uh, Dr. Lambert knows his secret and is like, eat some food, go in the sun, don't drink blood. I'm like. Yeah. What is going on? I was confused at that scene too because I was thinking I could have sworn this felt more natural that like she finds out and starts experimenting, but it, it also could be that they just smooth that out over the course of the show and I was forgetting how abrupt it was in the first episode. But yeah, the first thing we see her doing, the first mo- moment we meet this character, she's mixing up some green liquid which she never tells us what it is, and she tells him to drink it. He takes one sip, spits it out, and she goes, "Oh, you're such a baby. Come on, drink it. It's good for you." We never find out what it is. Presumably, it's her testing alternate, like, non-blood sources of, of yeah. nu- nutrition. But she's also trying to encourage him to eat actual food, which is a thing I remember throughout the show. Yeah. She's always trying to encourage him to eat real food and get used to the idea of eating food. But, it, yeah, it's it's very abrupt. It's very weird. You're right. So, uh... uh... We could call them like so. Nick and Skanky, they they go they yeah. go they go driving around and they're like trying to solve the case of the homeless people exsanguinator because all the other victims beside the security guard were homeless people right. who and all had O positive blood. I thought it was O negative. O negative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. O negative is the one that's the universal donor, <laughs> right? Right. Because anyway. Nick exp- Nick, Nick mansplained ex- that to the woman who worked at the fucking blood bank. Oh my god, it was so bad. This poor woman. Anyway. It could have been he was telling it to Skanky, but, like, why didn't the woman say that? She yeah. was in a blood bank. Anyway. So Nick and Skanky are driving around. Yeah. We've the- established, too, that Nick is friends with some of the homeless people. Yeah. When, uh, you know, the the police department's buying everyone dinner, Nick orders food and then takes it to the homeless people because he doesn't want to eat food. He's like, you can you can sleep in the garage at my place. Like, you know, he's trying to help these... There's, like, these kind of homeless kids that he's, like, pals with. Yeah, he's, he's like, you could come sleep in my place because... It's dangerous out here, and they're like, nah, it's cool. So then Nick and Skanky are driving around. They're trying to solve the case, and then Nick uses his vampire x-ray hearing something, like vampire extendo senses. Yeah. To, like, as they're driving, and then he hears a woman screaming and, like, drives over there. Yeah. And they find, like, a hostage situation in progress. There's a, there's a, there's a maniac with a... With an Uzi. Which, the interesting thing about that, which this has no bearing on the plot. Yeah. This was just a little bit of action for them to throw into the first episode. 
because all the actual plot action was going to be in the second episode. Yeah. I feel like they just shoehorned it in there to show his abilities and to have some action. Yeah. The funny thing about it that feels very early 90s is that the maniac isn't like a crazy punker or something. It's a guy in a business suit, but with an Uzi. And they later say he'd been doing like... He'd been on coke on, for like seventy two hours or something. He'd been sh- like shooting crack for. He was, yeah, hours he was that. just a coked up businessman with who somehow got his hands on an Uzi. Weird scenario. So anyway, they're, they've got the guy like cornered in a room, and Nick says to Skanky, "Like, keep him talking. I'm going around back." And Skanky's like, "What's around back?" And then we see Nick like fly up to a third story window, fly through the window like <laughs> goddamn Superman, and then like throw the guy out the window. Mm-hmm. And jump out with him. He, he like pulls the guy out the window and drops him into some soft garbage, and uh, they that's how they catch the guy. And then it he cuts like, to yeah, he like attacks him. He flies at the guy. Yeah. He's, he's not being subtle. So this is like another one of my major problems with this. Like I get that they're low budge, mm-hmm. but they're filming everything like in like in the dark and really fast cuts to suggest that he's like flying or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, it all is, like, so incoherent and fast that, like, I can't even tell what's going on in the scene. Yeah. So, uh, ding, 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 vampire uh, mythology hit number two is he can fly. (laughs) Which is one that a lot of vampire shows and movies go, nah. Because it seems a bit silly. And also it's expensive to shoot, make look good. But no, Forever Night freaking went for it. And I just want to tell you, it's a bit of a spoiler, but I have to share this as long as we're talking about it, that he flies all the time on this show. And no one ever sees him. And so my friend Ryan and I, when we were originally watching the show, we used to joke, Toronto, the city where no one ever looks up. Yeah. He's like, it'll be like dusk, not like the dead of night or anything. And he'll just, they'll show him kind of jumping and then it'll show that that view, that like uh, bird's eye view that they used a few times in this yeah. episode to suggest that he was flying without showing him supermaning around. It's, um, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> so what, what happens after yeah, that? Yeah, so they resolve this issue and then there's this scene where Skanky's like, yeah, the guy said a vampire attacked him. You wouldn't say that. If someone just like flew at you from the sky, you wouldn't be like, must be a vampire? But he's like, the guy said a vampire attacked him. Then again, he'd been doing coke for 72 hours, so I don't know. And then the captain's like, but you said you saw Knight fly in through the window and grab this guy. And Skanky's like, yeah, I kind of thought that's what it looked like. And he's like, and you weren't doing coke. And he's like, I had some souvlaki for lunch. Uh, For some reason, souvlaki is hilarious to Skanky. He mentions it a lot. Yeah. But the weird thing is they make it seem like the the captain in that scene is going to be like, you saw this. It must mean something. But then immediately he turns around, tells this weird anecdote, and then goes, vampires are a story. I don't want to hear you telling stories. I'm just like, wait, do you believe this or not? I can't decide. Again, you can't figure out who actually is on what side in this argument. But it's totally immaterial to the plot. Yeah, I mean, that was the... I really like that scene, mostly because I I like that actor quite Mm -hmm. a bit. And it, like, he's, like, he, he basically tells this myth where it's, like, if you kill a scorpion and burn it, all the other scorpions in the land will come attack you. Yeah. It's, like, a For miles su- around. superstition yeah. or a, an ancient myth or something. And I think the implication is, he, I think it's meant to be this kind of, like, because, like, even the way it's lit, like, all in shadow, it's meant to be this thing where he's, like, don't mess with, like, this might be supernatural. I've seen a thing or two, and I, des- I decided long ago not to poke that bear. 
But it's like, it's, there's no... He doesn't say that. He says, he Skanky's like, wait, is that true? And he goes, no, it's just a story. And so are vampires. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay, so he doesn't believe this stuff? It's like... Yeah, what? And again, it's one of those, it's, it's again, it's like the thing where it's like, if in the first, in the theoretical first episode that we did not get to watch, he actually did see some vampire shit and he's like, look, I don't want to know about this. All I know is you solved this case and I believe you're a good man. Yeah. Keep solving cases for me and I won't ask questions. Mm -hmm. Then that whole conversation would make sense if there was a thing like something like that. Oh, this is so frustrating. Okay. So what happens next? I don't really remember in the timeline exactly, but the point is where we eventually get to is that Nick eventually goes to Jeanette, his lover who, like, was part of his the little, like, clique with him and Lacroix, his, his master, which I just want everyone to know, when the frickin' soda, the sparkling water brand first came around, I was calling it Lacroix because I was familiar with the name, which... Guys, do you know what La Croix means in French? Do you know strangely? No. See, this is a vampire, mm-hmm. and his name is La Croix, which means the cross. <laughs> you know, it's funny, because vampires. Yeah. This is the kind of subtlety you so expect. He's, he's like the vampire equivalent of like an edgelord. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at his hair. Guy's got like bleach blonde hair standing straight up off the top of his head. And he had that in the 13th century as well. So very it's like, prescient with the hairstyles, this guy. It's like a Brent Spiner look. Like older Brent Spiner. Yeah, but like, but blonde. Like, yeah, but I it's that same shape. Yeah, I don't understand why they didn't even try to give them like shitty wigs. Because like, Jeanette has long hair, so it's just like, put a weird circlet on her and a, and a white shift and she looks old timey enough. But these two guys, they're just like, Eh, wigs are hard. So anyway, uh, we find out that Jeanette has uh, recently also moved to Toronto. How convenient. And she owns a sexy goth dance club underground. It's called The Raven. You can't tell, but I'm doing goth dancing where my hands and my arms are going every which way. And I'm like, I'm grabbing cobwebs from the ceiling. That's the goth dance. So he talks to her. Vampires. They do sexy goth nightclubs. Everyone knows this. Anyway, he talks to her and she says, LaCroix's not behind this. Right. And he's like, I don't believe you. And then he finds out that LaCroix is in fact in town. I can't remember if he sees him first or hears him on the radio first. I think he he hears him on the radio first. He's got a sexy nighttime radio show. He's like, this is the Nightcrawler. The Nightcrawler. And this song goes out to my, my old friend, Nicholas. Nicholas. This is been, for you, Nicholas. I've been in this town for three weeks, and I haven't seen you yet. Exposition. <laughs> so. But the, but that scene, like, is, like, coherent yeah. exposition. I know what the fuck is it's going true. on. We can't criticize them for heavy-handed exposition in the show when it's at least coherent. There are most two of it scenes of coherent exposition in this first half of the pilot Mm -hmm. (laughs) the first one is uh this scene and Mm -hmm. then at some point there's a scene with with dr lambert where she's like when you came to me begging me to help you not be a vampire anymore i didn't think you were going to give up this easily and she like tries to take his bottle of cow blood away that he's like uh it's like okay 
actually for the time the fact that they made the vampirism an alcoholism metaphor or like a, a, an addiction metaphor yeah. instead of like i don't know like an illness metaphor is nice i guess yeah. i i thought that was like it's a heavy hand as hell yeah when he drinks blood he gets like drunk but vampires aren't supposed to they're supposed to get stronger feel yeah. Like, they have had food and they are healthy. So he's, like, like a, a vampire diabetic where, like, he has to, like, <laughs> take care of his insulin levels in his insulin when he insulins with insulin. I don't know how that works. But the point is, uh, oh, he goes to visit the... That's right. I'm sorry. I'm barely remembering how this plot went. He goes to visit the archaeologist who was the one who found the body and he interviewed her right. earlier. And it's just not trying to hide the fact that he's a vampire. He's like, oh, look at these runes, you know? Um, haha, the first four digits of this uh, set of numbers is my uh, security code for my apartment. She's like, what? Why would I need that information? First of all, why would, I need that why would you tell me that? Uh, the only other person in the room who could possibly read it. But also, how do you know that? And he's like, oh, I'm a bit of an amateur archaeologist and then he just starts saying oh this and this and other thing and i know details i couldn't possibly have known unless i was there and she's like not a lot of amateurs know that he's just he's not subtle no he's not trying to hide it he's leading her by the nose because she of course does figure out later she goes <gasps> yeah. she sees a picture of him in a book of like an expedition to wherever this cup was found anyway darkest peru yeah so they have like a very only slightly a tiny bit of almost chemistry in that scene. Yeah. It barely registers. Then he comes to visit her in the middle of the freaking night where someone has been murdered and there's only one Didn't security guard. did she call gun. him first and she's like, I'll be working late. No, no, that was by. later. That was later. This time he just shows up out of nowhere. Right. Okay. Yeah, I believe I'm pretty you. Sure. I'm pretty sure he just shows up, scares her. He, he shows up behind her and she's like, you scared the living daylights out of me. It's like, yeah, because someone was murdered in this building like, a couple days ago and then she's like hold me out of nowhere she's like and he's like i'm sorry it was a mean trick yeah and then they start talking and then they have what i guess in this show passes for some flirtation it's like out of nowhere he's like oh he says something about i've had experience i know things and instead of saying you're not that old, which is what a human would say to another human. She goes, you haven't lived that long, which is what someone would say when they know they're writing about a vampire. And he goes, I'm working on it, which... What would that mean to her? To him, it means the whole thing about, like, I'm working on living less long because I'm trying to become human again. But what would that possibly... It has no double meaning. He yeah. says it like it's a double entendre. As he says that to her, he takes the book she is holding, presumably a valuable one, she's an archaeologist, and throws it on the ground and then like embraces her. And she's like, hold me again. And they start kissing. A lot of mouth noises with the kissing on the show. Both when Nicholas and Jeannette are kissing in France in the 13th century. And again, when he kisses the archaeologist. A lot of like, like the Foley artists just were like, I'm getting paid by the noise here. I'm like the Dickens of Foley. Oh my god! Every every noise I drop in, I get paid fifty cents. So, I anyway, they make out, and now they're romantically interested for the rest of the episode. Also, he he vamps out. His eyes go like yellow. Yeah, he's like about he gets, to vamp bite he gets her, the teeth. and then he's like, "I can't do it." And she's like, "What?" It, and it it's not like she says, "Do something to me," and he goes, "I can't." There's no double entendre here. Like, there's no double meaning. Yeah. He just, I can't. She's like, what? You can't. We were just kind of hugging and I was talking about my research for some reason. 
anyway, um, so he leaves, and that's when he goes home and drinks the cow blood because he's oh Jonesin. he's he's Jonesin. And when Natalie shows up and she's like, "Come on, you can't drink this stuff," which he stores in his fridge in empty wine bottles, which I'm sure is just the most uh, efficient and secure definitely, way definitely. to uh, store and the most. <laughs> Well, vampires are known drama queens. They are yeah. extra as hell. So, of course, he would store it in wine bottles. But he's drinking, and she's, like, opening the blinds. He's got, like, super fancy. Of course, he lives in some kind of converted warehouse. Right. Because vampires. Uh, and he's got these fancy metal portcullis-type thing. I'm trying to think of Shades. Like, shades. Like, cover the windows. Electronic. He's got yeah. a remote, and they go, like, ka-chunk. So he's not get, letting any light get in. Yeah. Even though they show later that he is capable of being out in the day a little bit. It's very similar to the, like, Buffy spike rules. in Buffy rules. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, they can, they, they'll just start kind of smoking and they can't be in the sun. And direct sunlight hurts worse, you know? Yeah. That's, it's the similar rules. So anyway, all of that happens. Yeah. And then he hears sexy, sexy late night radio. And then it says to be continued. Yeah. That's pretty much it, I think, for the first episode. Okay. So in the second episode... Uh, we... He goes to the the source of Sexy Sexy Radio Voice. Yeah. Radio he goes station. to the radio station, finds LaCroix. La See? This freaking soda people have tricked me into saying LaCroix now. So, so Seltzer wrong. Water and, and Knight have, like, a freaking confrontation. In a, a meatpacking plant, where there's, like, just a dead pig hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. Gross. Next to the radio station meatpacking plant. Yeah, just a vat of blood. Normal. And Elise... Follows him. Yeah, the the archaeologist, Elise. She follows him there for some fucking reason. At this point, she's starting to suspect he might be a vampire because of everything he said. And then she she sees a surprisingly high-res photo of an expedition there a hundred years ago who found the cup. Which he is in. He is in. So she witnesses this conversation and the seltzer water is all like, we, you must drink the blood. Oh, and also we've established that Nick has a cup identical to the one that was stolen from the... Right. That's in the first episode. We see him drinking blood out of that cup. And you think, did he steal the cup? We, we know he didn't kill the guy. Because it's like, there's a thing. If you have both cups, it will cure of being a vampire. Yeah, there's some kind of thing where you drink blood out of the two cups and it's supposed to cure vampirism, which is a... Okay. Like, yeah, you make a Thai iced tea and then, like, with blood and then you drink a thing. Yeah, I don't know. But that's why he theorizes, I think, that Lacroix would want to steal the cup. Right, because So he knows that Lacroix was the one who killed the guard. He doesn't know why Lacroix would kill a bunch of homeless people, though. Then he confronts Lacroix and he's like, you killed all these people. And Lacroix's like, no, I didn't. I only killed the security guard. I'm proud of murder. Why would I? Yeah, you know me. Why? Super proud of my murders. So if I'm saying I didn't kill those homeless people, you know I'm telling the truth. So but he's like, oh yeah, I totally killed that security guard. I had to keep this cup from you because you're my like my child. So I can't let you become human. That's dumb. Humans are lame and you should come back into the fold and be my child again. So they have a dumb fight. They have like an X-Men the Animated Series like level fight. Yeah. Where they're just kind of rolling around in the factory and then... Uh, archaeologist lady is like <gasps> yeah and it distracts them from the yeah fight. nick finally like vamps out which i don't know what that signified in the yeah. fight presumably maybe if he does that he has a burst of strength or something he's stronger when he's vamping out we haven't really established that but she gasps she has not been subtle about following in she's clip clopping with her heels all through the the those like, fucking foley guys yes, foley guys are like gotta clip clop gotta put the heels in 
I gotta put the sounds in. I'm the Foley guy. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, any Foley artists who are listening. I actually think you're very cool. Just this one. Is it's dumb. like, this one is notably bad, is yeah. what we're saying. Yeah. So, she gasps. Lacroix sees her and is like, oh, that's convenient. He flies up to where she's standing on, like, a, a rail, like, a, at a, a walkway up high in this warehouse and grabs her and is like, he's like, this is perfect. He actually addresses, this is very convenient. And everyone watching the show is like, yeah, it is. Now we can finally find out how much you really want to be mortal. Save the girl or the cup. And he throws the cup over the railing and goes to bite the girl. Yeah. And of course, Nick flies up, knocks down LaCroix, and they start fighting. And the girl's just standing there staring like, what? And she, he's like, uh, run. And she's like, oh, right. She is, it's offensive how stupid she is. Yeah, throughout this whole show. And this woman has a PhD. Yeah. She has, uh, she's incredibly dumb and helpless. She is so helpless. In fact, every named female character in the show, except for Vampire Lady from like a million years ago, uh, died And the homeless teenager. Oh, and the homeless teenager. But like every like non-homeless or immortal person has a PhD and is a moron. Yeah. Like. Nat's, Nat's fairly clever. She doesn't do anything super dumb in this episode. Also, to be fair, I had a hard time telling the two of them apart. This the lighting is very dim on this oh, show, really? and sometimes it's got the insane frizzy '80s hair in the '90s. It was like so much hair. There is a lot of hair. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I just had a hard time identifying them as separate characters initially, especially that, that watched that first episode with the brightness not to. It was like yeah, the first episode we like, had a problem with it being very dark. It's shot dark anyway because vampires. And then some seriously some some Game of Thrones season eight episode three shit, which I know that that's not a reference, reference. you'll get, Sarah, but that's definitely a reference for the listeners at home. I guess that was dark. A dark uh, episode. Okay, I'm gonna try to get through the the homeless murders yes. more quickly. So. The, 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 we see the homeless kids. Uh, don't forget, at the end of that scene, he thinks he's killed LaCroix. Oh, yeah. So him and LaCroix have their X-Men animated series fight. And then he, like, throws LaCroix. And LaCroix gets impaled on, like, a... Pointy metal thing. Yeah, and he's like... Bleh. And he's, like, just up there. Yeah. And then Nick, like, stares at him all sad. And I think he maybe has a flashback to them time whatever they flash back to the exact same scene yeah like four times it's france it's 1228 he becomes a vampire they show that exact same scene we get it so many times we get it notably they're all speaking french in those scenes not speaking english in a french accent or anything like that so because canada presumably (laughs) it is a long time ago since uh, we have been vampire friends sorry uh (laughs) that's the show i want to watch vampire friends I'll get right on it. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, so anyway, he's like, uh, ha, fuck you, LaCroix. And he leaves. Oh, in that fight, though, there's another, here's another, another thing for your checklist. LaCroix's mm-hmm. like, you know what will kill me? Uh, I, uh, uh, wooden stake through the heart and, uh, Daylight. He lists the fire things that kill them. And, of course, decapitation. And he... I don't know why you're doing that, like, dramatic voice. He did not have a dramatic, deep voice. I don't... He's very... For a villain, for, like, an ancient vampire who's the villain of this piece, he is very, like, Well, hello, I'm a vampire. 
oh, you know me, Nicholas. I like murders. <laughs> like, he's just not very threatening, unfortunately. So, uh, but, but there's another, that's another, yeah. like, checklist of vampire yeah. so things. so they address that decapitation, stake through the heart, daylight, and fire. fire. They establish those are the ways that die. Oh, we, we skipped a scene where... Uh, for some reason, Skanky is eating raw garlic. He came up, there was a line where he said why. And then he goes, hey, some, to someone else, watch this. And he goes, hey, partner, come here. And then breathes in his face. And Nick is like, ah. And he's like, ah, it's funny. You don't like garlic. It's like, so apparently garlic, that's the one that most shows, modern shows will be like, that's silly. Just do away with the garlic thing. But nope. So anyway, he thinks he's killed fucking Seltzer Boy and he runs and... They zoom in on Seltzer Boy's face and I could not tell if he was smiling or not. I think it was supposed to be a zoom in and then he smiles just slightly, but it was too slight for TV. And you're like, did his face move? I feel like it did, but also I feel like they want me to think that... Anyway, uh, uh, bad show. Anyway, moving on. Finally, we have left that... (laughs) Uh, Nick runs outside and... It's daylight. It's daylight. Oh, shit. He's on fire. And then he runs and dives into the trunk of his car. Which, there's an earlier scene where they're driving in his, like, is he say 76 Caddy or something like that? He's driving in his Cadillac, his, like, land boat. And Skanky's like, hey, why don't you drive some nice, clean city car? And he goes, trunk space. Skanky's like, what? And he goes... The 72 or whatever caddy has the most trunk space of any car made in the last 30 years. Yeah. And Skanky's like, yeah, I knew that. He doesn't think, that's a weird reason. Why do you need trunk space? And then we get the payoff when he dives into the trunk to protect himself from the sun. Yeah. So then we see the homeless kids and someone attacks them and they're like, ah, no. Uh, I don't know when that happens, but that happens at some point before yeah. this. Yeah. It, eventually Nick's car gets towed to the police garage and Skanky goes to pick it up and he's like, ooh, nice car. I'm going to drive it around. And so he's like driving Nick's car while he's trying to solve the case and yeah. he goes to the blood bank and he's like trying to talk to Dr. Blood, uh, Dr. J- J- Jepson, Jetson. I don't, this is how much I don't care. He's looking for a doctor who can authorize him to see a list of blood bank donors because they're trying to see if all the homeless people who died were blood right. bank donors. So he's trying to, and he, they can't, and they're like, it's and he's confidential. Just, he's a dick to the nurse yeah. who is trying to say, look, I can't give you this information until the doctor comes and approves it, okay? It's procedure. And he's like, hey, come on. What do you, yeah, I'm a cop. I'm a good guy. And up walks some fucking random dude we have not seen yet. Yeah, has he never has appeared never before. Never appeared before. He walks up and goes, hey, Skanky. Yeah, he's like, oh, hey, Fentleman, or whatever his name was. Uh, good to see you. Hey, can you tell this nurse I'm one of the good guys? I, I donate all the time. And he's like, he is a regular donor. And the nurse is like, I don't care if he's a regular donor. I can't not, give him this. I'm not breaking a law because he's a nice guy. He's also been a dick to me for the last half hour, so go away. But they, they have a little conversation that establishes this guy runs the mobile blood unit that all the homeless people donate blood at, which one of the other homeless characters pointed out at one point. Oh, yeah, we all like to donate blood. You know, it's a way of giving back to the community. So then they're, like, talking about the this dude, like, notices the Skanky's car keys. Like, oh, Cadillac. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, nice Cadillac. Meanwhile, Nick has climbed out of the trunk of his car, snuck into Dr. Whoever's office, mm-hmm. and gone on the computer and found out that all of the the homeless victims donated blood to the same mobile blood unit. And, you know, they all had the same blood type. Haha. And uh, and then get go calls the somebody and tells them that that's happening. 
calls Dr. Dr. Lambert and tells her that information. Yeah. As he's like looking at the computer. And then he goes and gets back in the trunk of his car and hears someone do a sabotage to the car. No, he doesn't hear that at first. He's 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 asleep. No, he's awake when the sabotage happens to the car. Why would he get out of the car and stop? I don't know. That's why this doesn't make sense. I I was pretty sure he was still asleep, but somebody walked up to the car and cuts the brake. So he goes back to sleep after looking at the computer. Yeah, he tells Nat, "I'll call you when I wake up later tonight." He goes back to sleep in the trunk. I think my ride's leaving. Yeah, it was, I, it just I was, they kept showing. I guess they kept cutting to him in the trunk, like moving around. Yeah, it, it didn't make. It was no, poorly shown. It does not make sense that he would go back to his trunk. Yeah, because the, he he knows that Skanky's got his car. Skanky's going to take his car back to like a place where he cannot control his safety. And when a phone and finds him getting out of the trunk, he already took a risk. A little old lady saw him get out of the trunk the first time, and he made a joke about. It's a little cramped, but you can't beat the rent, you know. But that would make that would be a better joke if the show took place in San Francisco. Yeah, <laughs> but you'd think he would have been like, "I need to come up with an excuse to hide out here at the hospital until dark. Yeah. Then I can walk freely. I can get a cab to the police station and come up with some story for why I abandoned my car." Instead, he gets back in his car. Yeah. Anyway, the per- we see the person who sabotages the brake line, yeah. and it's Mister Random in the lab coat, and so then Skanky drives off. We don't in the car. see that yet. We don't see that it's Dr. Rando yet. We don't? No. We, it's just somebody in a white lab coat. Yeah, we just see that it. somebody walks up and cuts the brake lines, and we just assume it's him, because he was three... First of all, we've never met him before. Suddenly, Skanky's establishing that he's a person we know, and he works at the... It's just... At the end of the first episode, you're going, okay, so if LaCroix didn't do the other murders, we're looking for two murderers, but we haven't met anyone else who'd be a candidate. What, did the archaeologist do it? You know... So anyway, they figure that out better. At, at some point they figure out that it's it's Mr. Bloodbank Rando who we've never seen before. Yeah, it turns out his mother died because she got hepatitis from a blood transfusion. From a that came from a homeless person. Who well, had I think O they, negative. Yeah, well, that's the that's the best part about this is that they don't say it came from a homeless person. This guy just assumes it must have been one of the homeless people. Yeah, because so just because it came from the bl- mobile blood. So unit. he's not a vampire. He's no. just murdering homeless people and, and draining their blood for kicks. Ugh, I if hate he, everything about because like at first I was like, oh, he must be, he probably drained their blood because he's like, well, I'm gonna kill them to punish them for what they did. But I'm still gonna drain their blood so I can like donate it. But the, the whole point is he thinks their blood is dangerous. He wants to stop them from donating again. So why would he drain their blood? It's just a red herring. So meanwhile, Nick has been missing, and archaeologist lady is looking for him. So she. Go. She figures out the. She solves the the stele, the runes of the the ancient whatever, and is like, aha, your pin code. Yeah, Three. which not only turns off your your alarm. It opens it the door. Opens the front door. So she goes to his house, or his whatever lair, to look for him, and goes up the the freight elevator into there, and then here's the freight elevator coming up. Like she looks for him, he's not there. Here's the freight elevator coming up and the homeless, one of the homeless kids, the last one, because they find one of them dead after whoever attacks them. Somebody finds them dead. Yeah. But the one that survived, the girl one, um, comes staggering out of the elevator and is like, ah, help me. I should help. And yeah. so archaeologists are like, oh, yes, here, lay here. I'll call ambulance. And the yeah. girl's like, no, not hospitals. He hospitals. works at a yeah. hospital. Wait, you forgot the whole scene with uh, Skanky... Uh, totaling his car okay yeah well, so basically I, yeah the skanky guy tried totals. to the guy tried to kill skanky 
by cutting the brake lines. Skanky loses control of the car with Nick in the trunk. I guess that actually doesn't actually... It only shows that guy's guilty. It doesn't do anything. Skanky isn't hurt. The yeah. car's barely dented, honestly. It doesn't look as totaled as they were making out like it was. Probably because they couldn't afford to actually total a classic car for the show. Right. It's... I mean, it's just like it has no bearing on anything. You're right, it's like you're a right. weird comedic, like. That's the other it's thing. It's just the another thing for the two of them to fight about. Yeah. Right. It, although, I will say the scene where they finally, like, have a conversation about the car, they had, like, it was the first time I actually enjoyed Skanky in a scene. Like, they had yeah. a little bit of chemistry. Yeah. I was like, oh, I could see these guys playing off each other. It could be a fun thing in maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they go back to the blood bank. They figure out that it's one of the people. And then. Nick calls his answering machine and Dr. Archaeologist picks up and is like, oh, the girl's here, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, hang on. Uh, the guy I just buzzed up because she sees on the video link thing. Of course, there's a video monitor of the front door because she vampires of money is so technology. She sees like a guy in a lab coat. And assumes he's there for, he's the ambulance yeah. she called and says, come on up. So she sets down the phone that Nick is on the other end of yeah. the line and then he Nick hears her going, wait, where's your bags? Where's all your stuff? And the guy just like just walks towards her threateningly. Yeah. And and I, she just backs away and stares at him. She doesn't go, she doesn't try to attack him. She doesn't try to run. She doesn't try to hurt him in any way. She just backs away like, what? No, stop. The women are so helpless in this show. Meanwhile, the, the homeless girl who's been beat to shit is just lying on the couch like, no, stop. But she has like, an excuse of having been beat up. The guy then picks her up and like throws her across the room. And for a second I went, wait, is he a vampire? No, nope. apparently he's just really strong for being like a wormy dude in a lab coat. So then Nick, hearing all this, goes, he's at my place. And just like takes off running and tells Skanky, Skanky to like, meet, meet me there. there. And he's like, well, how are you going to get there? He's going to fucking fly. And then it's like flying scene, whatever. And <laughs> this is my favorite part of this episode. There's like, you know, like Nick rushing and there's like more whatever guy being evil. And all of a sudden, Nick comes crashing through the window yeah. of his own he house. He dives through the window of his own house. Like full on George Reeves Superman. Like, yeah. Just like... At a weird angle, too. Like, yeah. it doesn't look cool. It, it just looks weird. It's just so there's, awkward. There's a moment earlier when the archaeologist is like, you're okay, shh, I called an ambulance. She turns on, a, like, a gas fireplace with a remote, which she just knows how to use, and she jokes, I don't think he's ever used this. How would she know that? Yeah. There's no reason for her to say that. It's just, like, clearly they wanted to have fire. They didn't know how to make fire happen, but they were like, well, he wouldn't use... A fireplace? Because he'd be freaked out by fire? Yeah. So then yeah. Nick is fighting with... There's uh, fire everywhere yeah. because some of the fire... Guy, there's paint cans everywhere for some reason, like turpentine yeah. everywhere. So no reason why. Fire everywhere. Nick fights with Blood Bank guy. And and then out of nowhere, uh, Bubbles shows up. Uh, LaCroix. <laughs> LaCroix. Bubbles. LaCroix shows up. <laughs> oh. And fucking just eats blood bank guy. So, like, red hair is dead. Yeah. So, like, 45% of this entire fucking episode is totally superfluous. Yeah. 
He kills Bloodbent Guy, and then it's been established that Nick is weak because he hasn't been eating food, but he also hasn't been drinking blood. Yeah. So he's weak. It's been kind of established. And then he's standing there on the other side of a wall of fire with Elise, the archaeologist, and archaeologist. <laughs> I'm losing my mind talking about this show. LaCroix is like, come fight me, Nicholas. And Nick's like, oh, ah. wait, you look weak. Are you hungry? Perhaps you need to feed. And uh, it, Nick's Archaeologist. like, yeah. Nick's like, just okay. It, it's fine. Stay on the this side of the of the fire, and you'll be safe. I'm gonna go fight him. And she's like, No, you can't fight him. You're weak. I suddenly understand everything about vampires, and I'm chill with the fact that you're one. Hey, why don't you eat? Drink <laughs> take my blood. me. Take me. She keeps saying, Take, take me. me. Take me. Not then, not feed off of me. And and it's he's like. But I can't. It, it'll kill you. That's one of the things I like in certain vampire shows where they establish that a vampire can drink some of a person's blood. A person can lose some blood without immediately dying. Yeah. Apparently in this show, as soon as a vampire bites you, you dead. And probably a vampire also somehow. Well, I think the, I think the two options are either dead or vampire. And since he doesn't want to dead her... Yeah. Well, they didn't establish... Um, what the difference is, yeah. what the act is. They yeah. they go into a lot of details in shows like and Buffy about how you have to yeah. do the vampire making. And, she, and she's all like, I'm an archaeologist. I could see like tons of years and I would lay all the civilizations yeah. and take me, take me, take me. And it's Suddenly like cutting, she's super on board. Yeah, it's like cutting back and forth to like back in the, 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 the bubonic plague times where like he's like... <laughs> about to bite the, Into the victim for the first time yeah. and they're all like bois bois mon amour bois <laughs> oh god and, anyway and, and fucking fucking Perrier or whatever his name is <laughs> he's like take her take her, take, me, take, take, yeah. her, take, take her take her take her take her do it take her you know. And finally, he just like shoves her aside and goes to try and fight. He's like, "No, I will fight you as a, as me. I will fight fight with with fire. I'll do the fire fighting thing." But Lacroix is like, "No, you're weak." Shoves him down, goes and starts to bite the girl, and yeah. then he gets him with a flaming stick through yeah, the he heart. Yeah, he stabs him with a flaming stick to the door. Yeah. And she's been... And he kind of goes like... Ah, 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 like, he's kind of yeah. shaking. Like, he's like he's being... Like, in a, in a ridiculous action movie where someone's being riddled with bullets and they kind of, yeah. like, wiggle. And then he, he like, burns away. And it, like Turns a into, like, pillar a, of... a pile of, of burning clothes. And that's yeah. all that's left. <laughs> so our big villain is dead. Yeah. No more Schweppes. <sighs> Oh, uh, Perrier was the peak. That was the, that was the hey, bubbles was also pretty good. Anyway, um, so uh, Canada Dry is gone. I've Nailed it. Canada Dry. Nailed <laughs> it. I'm so fucking. Oh, clearly okay. Canadian is so gone. So then we get like a little, a little after party stinger talky bit where they they give the the cup that he had to the museum. So then they, it's like they brought back oh yeah, to the museum. After this action scene, he, he burns up. Yeah. Nick goes to Elise and is like cradling her. Yeah. And she's got some blood on her neck, so we see that LaCroix did bite her. Yeah. But 
for like three seconds. He didn't yeah. have time to drink an appreciable amount of her blood. But Nick is cradling her, like sobbing. Mm. And I thought it was just, he's like, I'm sorry this had to happen to you. Yeah. Then the very next scene, Nat and Nick are just standing in front of a glass case with the, with the, the, the cup, cup in it. it, the remaining cup yeah. in it going, she wanted to live forever. Oh, she's dead now? Apparently. Yeah, yeah. She just straight up died? Yeah, they have this whole like, it's conversation like the, about do you think there's any more cups out there no probably not but who knows if that would have worked anyway i guess we'll just keep going with science or whatever I, all of this is played like in the just kind of like jocular tone of like the scene at the end of men in black where like the will smith character and lady mib who doesn't show up in the sequels anymore they're like getting in their car and like well we gotta go do things and it's all fun yeah. and happy medical and examiner quit, quit, women quit, medical quit, examiners quit. they never get <laughs> Yeah. What they deserve. So they're like quipping and then Skanky is there and they're all like just he does like, like... He does the thing where he gives her a hug and he's like, oh, does that mean you're still going to help me? They're like goofing around yeah. when a woman he had supposedly romantic feelings for just died and it was kind of his fault. And then the, the like the, the last little stinger yeah. is they're walking out of the museum. And it pans up to like a skylight in the building. And there's archaeologist lady on the roof being all like... End episode. End pilot. Why? And that, friends, was who, forever night. Who made it happen? <laughs> who indeed? All right, friends, we finally survived the recap. It's time for... Where did the money go? Segment where we like to talk about how the money was spent on the show. Or what money there was uh, in the case of this. I mean, look, it was a 1990s Canadian television program. I'm sure the budgets were not super generous. And it's uh, pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the effects are not great. No. Um, uh, yeah, I can't. I, yeah. Just, you know, building the, like, his sexy warehouse apartment set. Yeah. Um, I, I think buying that, like, weird sort of, uh... uh, uh getting a caddy. Getting, like, a 70-whatever caddy. Yeah. Uh, the, the the car in that Middle Ages violin thingy. Maybe that was expensive. <laughs> I mean, that's how low-budge this just, looks. I Like, just having, like, it a... It looks like he's holding up a mandolin, kind of. Yeah, it's it's like a, a viol. It's like the thing yeah. that's, like, pre-violin. Oh, you got me. It's still cracking up at that moment. Okay, so I so, think that's it. That's it. What money? That's the answer to that Moving one. on to our next segment. Flips and Chips. This is the segment where we talk about if we have any predictions for upcoming cliffhangers or if we ship particular pairs of characters. That is, yeah. we hope they get into a relationship or have a fun friendship yeah. or any, whatever. Yeah, any sort of predictions generally for the rest of the season, if not the whole show. Uh, I think I'm supposed to will they, won't they about Nick and, 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 and Dr. Lambert. Yeah, you'd think that. But as far as I remember, not it doesn't that doesn't really... Hold on. Do you care if I confirm or deny any of your theories? Are you, yeah, I feel like fine. you can't really spoil any no. part of the show. No, I, I don't care if you confirm or yeah, deny. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, I don't I feel remember like that much, much of that. Basically, with this as a pilot, I feel like they're kind of setting that up. Of they're gonna have this like, oh, they're really good friends, and then maybe like in the Christmas episode, like they smooch, and the whole audience at home is supposed to go, oh, but like, yeah. I, I have to stress, like, I don't care about any of these characters, like, <laughs> as 
you know, like I, and mm -hmm, like sure. that is a critical element in making me want to ship them. Yeah. I just don't like, yeah. like, like coming out of a, a pilot, like, uh, uh, Deadwood or Lost Girl. Like I, I've got, people are endearing and I'm like, oh, you guys, like, yeah. I want to see how you guys all interact. And like, maybe you two kind of had a moment where you looked at each other and that could be yeah. something fun. Yeah. Like you might think that, oh, part of the show will be about Skanky and Nick learning to understand each other. Like, uh, not really. They still fight all the time. I mean, they, they stay partners, but yeah. very surprised for the rest of the show. And it's like, Skanky remains super annoying. They continually fight over both reasonable and unreasonable things. There's a scene, I need to tell you about a super iconic scene that Ryan and I still reference all the time. Yeah. Where they're, they're having what is supposed to be a petty fight. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be petty, right? <clears throat> but it gets the most ridiculous when... Uh, Skanky says something about, like, well, maybe I'll just go move to Alaska because I'd get a warmer reception from the Eskimos than from you. And Nick goes, I think you mean Inuit Aboriginals. But, like, angrily, like, what did you say about my mom? It's like, it's just, Why? It's, the, it's the fucking funniest thing ever. We still reference it all the time. It's the most insane thing ever. Anyway. Okay. The, nothing fun happens with any of the relationships, but let yeah. me let me spoil something for you, strangely. But is this a sh is this a cliff, or a ship? Uh, it, it's a bit of both. Okay, because. Do you have any? Oh, guess cliffhangers. Yeah. What so, do you think is going to be the cliffhanger for season one? So the 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 big the, season finale. The, the big like reveal, like the thing I would want to have happen is to reveal that there's like a lot more hidden vampire culture, like you know, some sort of vampire court or vampire mafia. Or, you know, Vampire Publishers Clearinghouse something. <laughs> but I just, I, nothing about this show inclines me to think that it will have any sort of larger interesting mythology beyond, like... Not really. Yeah. Not on the level of Lost Girl with the, with the fake courts and all that. However, the fact that there is now a brand new vampire lady who clearly has, like, the, the, the crushies on Nick... I could see her being an interesting, like, wrench in the works element going mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. Or they might just kill her right at the beginning of the next episode. Do you want a slight spoiler? Sure. I have zero memory of this archaeologist character. Wow. Zero memory. Her showing up as a vampire at the end completely knocked me over backwards. I'm like, wait, what? Does she stay a character on the show? No memory of her. She doesn't... She didn't become the new big bad, I don't think. Honestly, I mean, watching this proved to me that I've forgotten a lot about the show, so I might yeah. be misremembering things. But uh, let me tell you something else. I also didn't remember La that Lacroix died at the end, for, end of the first episode. Because he's a listed character in all the He's in the, the credits. Series. He's in the beginning of the credits. Nigel yeah. Bennett, right up there. He is top billing. So what I remembered is that Lacroix then becomes his, his, his nemesis, who's always kind of dancing around the edges and causing him trouble and trying to convince him to come back into the fold. And we usually, in an average episode, even if LaCroix doesn't like show up and do anything specific, we hear him on his radio show. I remember that as being like fundamentally part of the show. Now, oh, like him having a radio show? Yeah. It was taunting that, Nick Taunting Nick and, and making references to things. Yeah. that I remember that being a big part of the show. Now, in our What We Know, I said I watched only the first season. Uh -huh. But now I'm positive I watched at least part of the second season, if not a lot of it. Because there's a character from the pilot 
from the first season that is replaced. Uh -huh. When I saw the picture online of the replacement, I went, oh, no, I remember that one. I remember this person. So, obviously. Huh. I've seen more of the second season. Also, I saw something online about, like, someone posted somewhere something like, how did LaCroix come back in the second season if he died in the first season? And I was like, do they mean in the pilot, or do they mean he comes back and dies again, and then they bring him back again? Apparently, the show, the answer was the show kind of, like, hand waves it. Like, he's a really powerful vampire, though. He but just is. Bottled at the source. Yeah, but the thing is... If he comes back in the second season, I just find it hard to believe I don't remember him being gone for the remainder of the first season. It's weird. I, Again, I thought this whole L.A. thing was a whole thing, yeah. so I might be misremembering that, but LaCroix at least does come back at I some point. I think we found the ultimate like litmus for if you've oh, come I, from another universe or not. It's just watch this show. Yeah, I, I think I know the answer. Uh, you know how in uh, Sherlock, when they killed uh, the Sherlock TV show, they kill Moriarty? Yeah. And then they bring, have an excuse to bring back the actor because he shows up as, like, a vision that Sherlock yeah. sees in his brain palace or whatever? Yeah. I think they did that on this show where they kept Nigel Bennett around through flashbacks. Uh, which would so, make sense, like, back to vampire so days. So LaCroix is still sort of controlling Nick through his memories of LaCroix. And then they were like, this is not enough. Let's just bring him back to life in the, or, or life in the second season. I'm going to say that's what happens, but also what? I'm going to take Why? your word for it. What will this show be? Yeah. Not in my DVR. Oh. <laughs> we did accidentally buy the whole first season, though, so you've got it in your Amazon. I do have it in my Amazon. We I tried to just buy the first two episodes. I am the proud owner of a digital copy. If anyone wants to, like, play some sort of drinking game with this show, that might need to happen at some point. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we could get some Sophia de Blanc de Blanc. <laughs> oh, no, obviously, we need to find... I mean, it, it can't be long. There's so many of these alcoholic uh, seltzers out. It can't be long yeah. before LaCroix comes out with an alcoholic version, surely. They should put that fucker on the can. Yeah. Uh... Pursing I... his lips the way he does. <laughs> this guy, this actor looked like he was purposely trying to pat his lips while talking all the time. So. Like, I'm sexy. Look at my lips. I'm also a vampire. Come to me, Nicola. What you are doing right now <laughs> is better than the show. Okay. I know. So I'm like, great. The, the week to week on this, I feel like it will. Be, my my ima I imagine it will be sort of a, a police procedural light uh -huh. where he's solving crimes and you already told me like uh, f fizzy fizzy is off on the radio. Clearly Canadian. Like, he's officially clearly Canadian yeah. from now on. I can't yeah. believe we didn't think of that he's one sooner. Ta he's taunting him um, like uh, over the radio waves, just kind of like while he's trying to do the thing. I. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like it'll be that, and the fact that you've told me that there's no like wider mythology gonna happen. Yeah. I just uh, not don't. that I remember. Maybe like season three, shit gets bananas. I honestly, if anyone <laughs> listening has watched season three and there's anything in it worth seeing, even if it's just because it's so bananas, let us know. Because I don't think I would actually watch. I couldn't make it through the 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 whole show the first time. I don't think I could do it now when I have a podcast that gives me home, TV homework. But let us know if you have a compelling reason. I have a theory about someone who did have a compelling reason to watch the whole show, which oh, really? I will expound upon in our next segment, which we like to call... It's a... 
So this is the segment where Sarah and I have taken a little break between watching the show and recording this podcast. We've gone and looked at Imdaba, and we've looked up the people that jumped out at us as being somewhat familiar. Yeah. Usually it's character actors that you're looking at and going, oh, I know that face, but yeah. you can't immediately remember where from. So I had I had three I would like to talk about in this. Do tell. The first one is Gary Farmer as Captain Joe Stonetree. Yes. Now, you recognized him from something as well, correct? No. I, oh. I, well, I just, as soon as I saw him, I remembered his character on the right. show. Okay. And I clapped my hands and you assumed I was yeah. recognizing him. He is in something that I know for a fact you have watched very recently. Really? Yes. Longmire? Yes. <gasps> oh my God, he's the Contrary Warrior. Yes, Aaron, oh Aaron Two Rivers. Oh my God, I did, oh... Oh my God, that's amazing. You know, there was something about him that seemed extra familiar. Here's something. When he showed up, I went, oh, right, this guy, delightful. The same way I did when I was like, oh, Nat, she's ridiculous with the big hair. It was nostalgia for the show. But part of me was like, you know, I don't think I particularly remembered him being First Nations when I first watched the show. And now it seems just very obvious to me that he is. But it's but also he's, he shows up in the first scene with like he's got like suspenders yeah. and a tie loosened and a fedora on. They're a going too hard small for t- slightly too small fedora. Um, and they're just going really hard for him being like, I'm the police captain, but he's also just like, yeah, the most Canadian you could possibly be, which so, I guess is First Nations. So have you got one? The one I was hoping that you would recognize is John Capellos. Yes. Who most people would recognize... As a janitor. As the janitor from Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. What's funny is that I didn't recognize him as that. Uh, I think I'd seen Breakfast Club as a kid. And then I watched, you know, a big chunk of Forever Night. And then I ended up going back and watching Breakfast Club for some reason with friends. And I was like, ah, it's kinky. What is he? He's also in a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, he shows up. Uh, he's a recurring character on Dead Like Me for a while. Yes. A, a lot of these at actors. The Waffle House analogy. Yeah, a, 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 he's the 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 um the short order cook at the Waffle House. Yeah, what is Boom, it? Another analogy, one down. Analogy is not the word I'm thinking of. It's a word for something that is analogous to something else, but it's like when something's standing in for something else. Oh, uh, I feel uh, like I th- analog. Analog. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. He were, he's the short order cut. Yeah. <laughs> the Waffle House he's analog. teaching Rube, uh, Mandy Patinkin, how to poach eggs. At, another one down. Another one down. Another one down. It's one of my favorite scenes in that show. Oh, I, I don't remember that scene particularly, uh, but... Also, John Capellos has something in common with Nigel Bennett, who plays the look, Canadian Dry, Canada Dry. What? Uh, they have something in common. Really? Which I vaguely recognize both of them more in, like, slightly older guys mm. uh they both appear in smaller roles in the shape of water really yeah and the fact that the two of them are in that i i kind of want to go through and see oh, how many if, correlations if, there are i'm sorry if guillermo del toro doesn't love the shit out of forever night i'll eat my hat right i'll even which, let you pick which one <laughs> which is why that's my theory that <laughs> yeah D- del toro is a big fan of forever night yeah if you'd asked me before, do you think Guillermo del Toro has seen Forever Night? I'd be like, well, I don't know, maybe he likes yeah. horror stuff. But knowing that the two of them are in it, like, yeah. oh, he must, he must. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. That's uh, that'll be a fun. It's always fun when John Capels pops up yeah. and things, though. Yeah. It's delightful. The only other person in this episode that I went, oh, hey, that person looks familiar, was uh, uh, Zach Ward, who plays the the one of the two homeless kids, the one yeah. who gets killed, and it was in such a like. 
I'm pretty sure this is going to turn out as just someone I've seen in a million things. Yeah. Thing. And I had the feeling that he had been a child actor. Mm -hmm. When I got to his IMDb page, he had over 100 credits. And scrolling through them, I just saw a lot of things where I'm like, I mean, yeah, I probably saw the episode of NCIS he was on. I've probably seen him on this and that and the other thing. So I gave up. But you scrolled further and you found the answer. Well, Well, you recognized him right away. I, as soon as I went to his IMDb page, I recognized his now photo, which is like this very handsome redhead, like, hello, like, uh, looks a bit like, uh, it's kind of a similar vibe to the, the guy who plays Mad Sweeney in American Gods. This is like very kind of like okay. chiseled looking redhead. If you say so. Hotness. Um, sorry, I'm getting distracted thinking about that. Anyway. Don't. Uh, <laughs> it's because of a couple, a little while back I was watching Deadwood. And he plays a, a desk clerk in, like, two episodes of that. Oh. So that's where I had seen him before. But I, I don't think you've watched that No, I haven't seen yet. that far. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to reveal that oh, we took a break after the recap just to, like, catch our breath. And I went ahead and scrolled through the rest of his IMDb. And I've realized where I thought you were going to be recognizing him from. His very first film role in 1983. Was? A Christmas Story. As Scott Farkas. Oh my God! Like the, he had yellow right? eyes. He's like a bully or something. Yeah. I've never actually seen that oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. But I think I've seen clips of it, and I've seen. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I, I definitely have seen him and stuff as a kid for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah. he's probably uh, just a skosh older yeah. uh, than the two of us. That's amazing. Maybe, like ten years max, probably. Less. So bizarre that a Christmas story is from 1983. Yeah, I saw that and went like, oh, I did not think he was that much older than me. I kind of thought like this guy, and I, like he's a few years older than yeah. me, but maybe more. Anyway, I wasn't expecting that and that for that to be his first role. And he's, man, guy has kept working. He has not stopped. So I have one more that I recognized. Do tell. There's an amazing Canadian uh, comedy drama television program called Slings and Arrows. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it, never watched yeah. it. Yeah, so it's, it's, the, it's the ins and outs of uh, Shakespeare Company based on the... Right. There's somebody screaming at me right now. There's a there's a town in Canada that's like a Shakespeare town mm-hmm. where they have like a recreation of the Globe Theater and they do Shakespeare productions. And sure. Big Shakespeare festival. The Ashland of Canada? The Ashland of Canada, yeah. Season two has an arc where they bring in this like incredibly pompous, really famous actor to guest star with the, the company players in a production mm-hmm. of... Uh, I think it's Romeo and Juliet or something like that. And he is this pompous Shakespearean actor douche. And he is played by uh, Gary Wynn Davies, who plays Nick uh, oh, Knight. Oh, that sounds delightful. It is. And so I had also, seen... Also, do you know that's... Is, are, did you, were you taking a stab at his name, or do you know that's how it's pronounced? No, I have no idea. Because I believe he's Welsh. Oh, so it'd be... <laughs> it's like G-E-R-A-I-N-T, then middle name W-Y-N, or possibly two last names, Davies. So. Gern Windavies. Davies. Anybody? I wonder if he's related to John Reesdavies. Anybody with a weird first name and Davies is the last name, I just assume they're Welsh. I don't know why. <laughs> but yeah, so like that was my my view of him. Because mm-hmm. I've watched Slings and Arrows numerous times. And so to, to see him in this and just, just have him be like... I am trying to be have a soul again. Yeah. It's just like, oh God, shut up. <laughs> he is a little over the top. Yeah. Uh, but that fits for this show. This yeah. show is so extra. Oh, well now I feel like I need to at least watch that episode, if not all of Slings and Arrows. 
Wait, have you oh. seen all of Slings and Arrows? Do we yes. need to put it on the docket? It might be an all or none. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next segment. I choose you. Favorite character. We're skipping this segment this <laughs> month. <laughs> come on, come on. If okay. you had to pick a favorite if character. If I had to pick a favorite character, I gotta say uh, Le, Le, Le Croix. Yeah. He reminds me of the Kurgan, uh, Clancy Brown's character from Highlander. Mm-hmm. Where he's yeah. like... Same energy. This actor comes in and is like, all of this shit is fucking ridiculous. You know what? Fine. Yeah. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna be ridiculous. You just try and stop me. Because like everybody else is playing it, like really, I, I want to say playing it straight, but like there's comedic moments. But like everybody's like on this certain level. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody's on like a very like TV whatever level. And then Canada Dry is like, hey, I'm gonna come and get yeah. you. Well, of course we could make it more appetizing. Like, Why don't a- I? Get a you job don't... at a radio station so I can play violin at you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we didn't mention that he has his like old timey violin lute thing. He's playing it on the radio live. Uh. Anyway, he yeah he he's in the, the the dead pig hanging from the ceiling. He's like, do you want to become immortal? So you can be like this, and he like slaps the pig. <laughs> dead pig slapping. I think I might I might need to make a gif of that. Just like. <laughs> It's the sound effect that really nails it. Those holy workers, they it's, were committed. It's, it's like a very like like it's like a very like you know it's like yeah like it has like a, oh god it's like there's a lot of this is good foley work there a lot of meat there yeah <laughs> um I think I mean uh, Skanky is delightful yeah but he's also extremely annoying on the show I'm gonna say my favorite character for the purposes of this podcast is Jeanette we don't get to see a lot of her in the pilot. But she shows up, he, he's constantly going to her on the show, from what I remember, to find out stuff about, because he's kind of out of the vampire scene. Right. And she's in the vampire scene very much. Yeah. We only, she only got really one scene. Yeah. She got to, to say, Bois, mon amour, bois. and then she gets to have her one scene in her yeah. very dark bar. But yeah, she, she shows up constantly throughout the show. One of the things that happens a lot on this show since you don't mind having these being spoiled, that's hilarious, is that almost every single episode, in addition to him solving a crime, right? He tangles with another vampire in almost, possibly in every episode. And the thing is, they're always, as far as I remember, someone from his past. I mean, he does have like 800 years of it. Here's the thing, though. They very rarely are like, Hello, Nicholas. I came to you for reasons that are specific. They're always like, oh, you live here? I'm just in Toronto for reasons. Like, we used to, uh, you know, we used to jokingly say when we were watching the show, gosh, it's convenient that every vampire in the world eventually passes through Toronto. Otherwise, I wouldn't have much to do on the show. Well, you know what they say. All vampire roads lead to Toronto. It's where the vampire publisher's clearinghouse is. Yeah, well, vampires have all heard Toronto is a city where no one looks up. So they're like, well, I can fly all over the place. I should go visit. It's it's a just an unrealistic trope, like uh, you know, a uh, murder she wrote. No, not that many people would die in that very small. It's like twice town. the population of that town has died over this course of that. Series. Yeah, but that's one of those things where you go, okay, it's part of the premise of the show. Just go with it. But this, for some reason, every time it happens, you're like, again, 
not just he meets another vampire. Sure, it's a big city. Maybe there's lots of vampires, but it's always somebody he knows and remembers. Do you think I can't remember people I met last week? Can you think you'd remember everybody you'd ever met for 800 years? Well, maybe part of the vampire superpowers in this universe is a really good memory. That seems to be the unspoken vampire power in most vampire universes. Because they're always like, oh, yes, I remember seeing Nero fiddle while Rome burned. You know, Which is... every time. They always remember specific details. I mean, look at him. It's a hundred years ago. He went on a single yeah. expedition to this place. And now he's like, yes, I can still read these runes. You know, I, I like to brush up on my runes, keep my hand in to the rune game. <laughs> that line from, from, from Bubble Water, Fiddle guy where he's like i taught nero to fiddle and he we played together we watched rome burn i took genghis khan the art of war every time in like over the top extra vampire in a movie yeah like or show or whatever does says some shit like that all i can think of is the fucking scene in buffy do you remember the scene where Mm -hmm. there's like there's the one vampire and he's like I'm going to kill the Slayer, and when I do, it will be the most important event since the crucifixion. I would know. I was there. And then Spike shows up and goes, if every vampire who said they were at the crucifixion was actually there, it would have been like Woodstock. Yeah, I, I do remember that now because I, that line is what made me realize, like, oh yeah, vampires can just say they were places. Like, yeah. And now every yeah every time when he was, and the best part is he was making these claims in the flashback yeah. to, to the 13th century. And part of me is like, I don't know that much about this history period, yeah. but would a French knight in the 13th century be like, oh yes, I've heard of Genghis Khan and Nero and like whoever, like two well, other people he mentioned. I mean, at, at the point, at the time that that is supposed to have happened, Genghis Khan's like major like oh fuck oh shit oh shit mm-hmm. the world is going to hell conquest yeah. happened like 16 years prior. Oh okay. I was just like it made me go wait how, when did those things all happen? Would this random French knight know about these things? It sounds like the kind of dialogue you'd write for a vampire to say in the present day. Yeah. No. And I was like I just went I don't know if that's as but also I went yeah right f- bubbles. Yeah. Yeah, right. You taught Nero to fiddle and you, yeah, okay, if you say so, buddy. Like, yeah, I believe that. I, it, it, I, I'm I, so glad you reminded me because I remembered that feeling, but not where I, yeah. it originated, which is, it would be like Woodstock. Back to Forever Night just for a brief, brief period. Where we deliver our final verdict. Where we ask the question, did this pilot do the job of a pilot and make you want to watch more. Strangely, how do you feel about more Forever Night? I, if I could do more of this with you, <laughs> I might watch more. Like, I, yeah. I could honestly see myself making like one of those like YouTube, uh, like let's watch videos or something of me watching more of these. Just because it's so bad like it honestly it's the most fan ficky feeling thing i've seen i've seen that mm-hmm. is professionally produced ostensibly professionally produced yeah i could see myself watching more of this as like a curiosity of badness but honestly if i never revisited the show again it i wouldn't care yeah it's yeah bad it's a like it's very it's, bad. It's, it's very a bad. no. Although now yeah. I do own it on fucking Amazon, okay. oh. so maybe I will. 
I don't I mean, know. Yeah, I watched most of the first two seasons, but I, yeah, I watched it with a friend. Yeah. And it was just the two of us would sit down and watch. And it was mostly because it was so bad that it was funny. But I do remember feeling a certain feeling of like, I actually want to watch more of this. There is an infamous time, which Ryan, I know you're listening, where he was at my house. We watched an episode. He left and I just couldn't stop myself from watching the next episode. So I did. But it was so uniquely bad that when he came over the next time, I said, Ryan, I have something to confess. I watched the next episode and I would rather die than watch it a second time. Can we go to the third episode? I'll give, or whatever is the next episode. I, I swear I'll give you like a recap of what happened. It's uh, infamously known between me and this friend as the stripper episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we always joke that maybe we'll finally sit down and watch it together someday. Uh, because wow. I don't remember much about it except the main character for that episode was and stripper. Anyway. And a vampire? I don't remember. I think it was a stripper who needed Nick's help, you know, because uh, strippers are always like troubled and uh, they definitely. I need taught Cleopatra how to shake her hips. Yeah. I showed Shahrazad how to do the dance of the seven veils. No, that would have made the character from the too grassy knoll. I'm a stripper. I'm like, <laughs> I don't, on that note. Do you have anything else to add? What is your final verdict? No, I, I, well, I. I think I know how you feel about the well, show. It was fun to rewatch the first two episodes, yeah. but I, I'm not like, oh my god, I, I, this has made me want to watch it again. Right. Uh, what has this made you want to watch? Do you have a, a vampire thing that you're like, this is what I wish I was watching right now? No, all I can think about right now is you put the bug in my brain of we could do an entire sub podcast of us just watching the episodes of the show and talking about it, and I went to myself. I wonder if there are any Forever Night podcasts, and I am on my phone right now looking it up because I just really want to know. I Yeah, I did a quick Google, and there have been some podcasts who have done an episode about Forever Night. It doesn't look like there are any Forever Night dedicated podcasts, strangely. We could be that podcast. Okay, f uh, friends, if you are listening right now and you would really love for me and Strangely to do a limited run podcast, no. Strangely's shaking his head no. and looking at me pityingly right now. Please don't. If you would like us to do a Forever Night podcast called Endless uh, Forever Night, <laughs> we forgot to mention in the, in the intro, Bubbles does a voiceover where he's like, he's a vampire. He wants to be a cop to save people now. I'm he wants to become human so he can be saved from his. And you're like, forever night. And he goes, endless. You're like, what? Forever night. I Wait, can't. what? I can't. Sarah, I'm, I'm, so, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm done. Okay, Stranger, no. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website at pilothousepodcast.com or email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks to this week's special guest star, Chris, for supporting us on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilot House is a Herringbone Society production. Uh, okay. Okay, um... Uh, okay, I'll come back. We, oh, have, to do, okay. we have to say the thing. We have to say the thing so this can be over. Okay. Okay. Okay, are you ready? I came back to say okay. the thing. Okay, okay. one, two, three. Bye. Bye.